price drop? Time to shop. Get to a Nordstrom Rack store today for first dibs on new markdowns. Now score even more, up to 70% off brands everyone loves at Nordstrom Rack. Denim, dresses, sneakers, tops, and more. Plus, get genius deals on jackets, sweaters, and boots for the whole family. Shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and save up to 70% with new markdowns. But hurry, deals this great won't last. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. I'm Alan Alda, and this is Clear and Vivid, conversations about connecting and communicating. You and I sitting here, your smile, your attention to what I'm saying, that's enough. Tell your wife not to worry. But that's enough for building a good relationship. Because what you are doing right now, you are giving me your entire attention. And you are asking me questions that I'm interested in. You're not asking me about golf. Her name is Ruth Westheimer, but we all know her as Dr. Ruth, the helpful lady who's spoken to us for decades about sex with insight and in plain words. She still uses plain words, and we're in for a few of them today, but we're also going to hear about a new emphasis that she feels is urgent for the times we live in. We visited Dr. Ruth in her apartment with a great view of the Hudson River, and over cookies and coffee, we had a lively conversation, which was warm and funny and so freewheeling, she even took phone calls. I'm so glad to be talking with you today because this is a subject that you have devoted a lot of your life to that doesn't get talked about much. And and it's the first time we've talked about it on a show dedicated to relating and communicating, the most intimate form of communication, which is sexual communication. That's what you devoted so much of your life to, I think. But do am I right? Do I see a little shift? It seems that in the beginning, you talked more about sex and now you talk about sex as a function of relating. You seem to be talking more about relating now. Is that true? I, I'm, uh, I don't want to say much more, but you're absolutely right. I am very concerned these days about people who are lonely of all ages. Young people who haven't found a partner, widows, widowers, uh, every everybody. Uh, so I'm very concerned about two aspects of life right now. One is the issue of loneliness, and the other one is the issue of expecting maybe too much, and that's why so many young women uh, postpone marriage, because maybe there's somebody better out there. Yeah. So you are right. I do maybe emphasize more uh, the danger for young people and also older people because of the um, iPhones, that the art of conversation is going to be lost. I think I read in your book that you 
hinted or said that there was an epidemic of loneliness. You really think we're in an epidemic of it? Yeah, I don't know if I would use the word epidemic because it sounds so medical. Yeah. But I would say there's certainly of all ages in our culture right now is a tremendous problem about loneliness. And um, I don't talk about suicide because that's not my expertise. I want to prevent that outcome. So I talk beforehand. I say people uh, with all of the possibilities, with all of the knowledge available. And then I say also, I'm not going to forget about sex. But before I talk about sexual uh, issues, before I talk about problems in the sexual area, I first want you to have a partner. What do you think? We're talking about relationships. Mm -hmm. it, it really interests me to hear from you. What, what do you think is fundamental to a good relationship? I tell you what's fundamental. You and I sitting here, your smile, yeah. your attention to what I'm saying, that's enough. Tell your wife not to worry. But that's enough for building a good relationship. Because what you are doing right now, you are giving me your entire attention. And you are asking me questions that I'm interested in. Yes. You're not asking me about golf. <laughs> and I used to be a super good skier. But I don't want to talk about skiing anymore because it would make me sad that I don't ski anymore. <laughs> so what you are doing is to ask me those questions that are foremost on my mind. Right. That gives me the energy to do the things that I'm doing. And it connects us. It, and it, it, it does connect us. It makes something happen between right. us. Because I, when I look at you, you look at me back. Right. It's funny, my, my wife, after we go to a dinner party where there are people at the table who we don't know, and very often I'll say, how is that uh, guy you were sitting next to? She said, well... I asked him questions about himself. He never asked me a single question about myself. <laughs> Big mistake. <laughs> people, people love to yeah. talk about themselves, but I, they miss this, this thing I, of curiosity about the other person. I see that all the time. I, it's it's so, much, so wonderful to be curious about somebody and get stuff out of them. Yeah, not only that, Alan. Sometimes you leave a dinner party... And I leave a dinner party and I say, that was a waste of my time. Mm -hmm. For example, if I'm at a dinner party and somebody talks about diet, I'm not interested. I don't have to talk about diet. <sighs> so I try very hard, not just to talk about sex, but to talk about something that might be of interest. If to you that talked person. even a little about sex, wouldn't that start a f vast conversation that would go on all night? <laughs> I'm very fortunate because these days, very often, somebody says to me, I have to ask you a question. I go to a corner of a restaurant. Oh, really? Yeah. I say, don't say I, say a friend of mine has a question. <laughs> <laughs> and I try to answer it. But what you said before is true. I do not get as many questions anymore, for example, from men. I used to get many questions about premature ejaculation, uh -huh. about ejaculating before they wanted to. Right. I don't get that anymore. It, well, has something changed in the men? What has no, nothing has changed, but there's more information available. Oh, so they don't need to ask a secret question. Right. Yeah. And then I guess less questions from women 
who don't know how to achieve an orgasm. But I still talk about sex because there's a lot of um, af aspects of sexuality that needs exploring. For example, there are many women and men who don't know that when they have sex, when the woman is aroused, before her orgasmic response, there is a moment of when nothing happens. In French, it's called le petit mort, little dead. Little I don't death. like that, yeah. that uh, sentence, but I use it. I don't have a better one. Women and men have to know to continue stimulating so that she can have an orgasm. Very often, the woman then said to herself, oh, it's not going to happen today, maybe another day. Big mistake. The other big mistake is I do tell some people, If they go out on a date, and if they are sexually aroused, I don't know if anybody on your program ever talked about that, I tell them to masturbate before they go out for dinner. Not in the restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> Not in public. <laughs> But at home. So that they don't But if sit. in case the other person's late, it gives you something to do. <laughs> no, so that they don't sit there the whole time saying, will I get sex? Will I not get sex? Yeah. And I same. I'm telling women. You know what that's like? They advise you not to shop in a supermarket if you're hungry. That's very true. Because you just buy everything in sight. <laughs> <laughs> so what about what about a couple, a loving couple, communicating about sex in bed? It seems to me that an awful lot of communication is nonverbal. Mm -hmm. But... Sometimes I I think I've I've felt from some of the things I've heard you say over the years that you encourage verbalizing communication sometimes, right? If they so desire. Now, very important. I did a book called Sex After 50. Mm -hmm. Very important to teach. The pages are not all blank, I hope. No. no. <laughs> very important to teach older people that they need a lot of hugging and kissing mm. and touching. Yeah. And I tell older people not to have sex at night. It's not true that women only want to have sex when the stars twinkle. I, I, I've never heard that stereotype. So uh, to have sex in the morning, yeah. when the testosterone level for the man is highest, ah. and it's not true that women don't like to have sex in the morning, get up, have a breakfast, go back into bed, hang right. the phone off the hook, Today, you don't have a phone on the, off the hook, so close your iPhone. Very important. I tell you something. In the Talmud, in the Jewish tradition, it says that a husband is still obligated to provide sexual satisfaction to his wife, even after menopause. Very interesting. Because you could have said that they wanted people to have babies, so... Have yeah, sex, yes, yeah. even after menopause, and that's important for us today because people live longer. The affectionate touch seems to me to be really important. Yes, not just a touch, but with meaning behind it, with right. a, a reassurance, connection, that kind of thing, and to take the time to caress. Not just yeah. touch the left breast and touch the right breast and then go to... Oh, oh, touch both. Oh. <laughs> Because the big problem... <laughs> the big problem is that so many older people 
all the men worry that their erection will disappear. Oh, I see. And we have to teach both of them that the penis, I speak very explicitly, penis has to be touched in order for an older man to obtain and maintain So some men may go through that petit mort, that little death as well. And give up. And give up. Right, and say, yeah. okay, next time. What I always wonder when I see a Cialis commercial um, where they say there's you might be having that special moment and you don't want to let it pass by and you'll have the chemical in your body all the time so that you can act on it without waiting. You know, I I wonder about, did they ever hear of an appointment? No. Why can't you say, I'll see you in an hour when the, not even I'll see you. You can spend that hour doing romantic things and getting ready for the, for a real experience. What, what, what what is this, this fear of, of passing by some nonverbal thing that happens between you, but not being able to talk about it? Here's the answer. When Viagra came on the market, yeah. uh, here is a gentleman going to the doctor. He says, you can take Viagra. He comes home. He now has an erection. He took the Viagra from the floor to the ceiling. He's very worried that that Wait, the be- erection goes from the floor to the ceiling? Yeah. He's very worried. Well, what's he <laughs> doing on be- the floor? <laughs> <laughs> He's worried that that will be the last erection of his life. Yeah. So he says to his wife, hop into bed. What we were talking about before, about relationships, this gentleman forgot her birthday. He forgot Valentine's Day. And in our culture, in this country, if there's a sports event on television, he hasn't talked to her in three days. And And just because he took the pill, he thinks it's important for her to cooperate. And you and I know what that wife tells her husband what to do with that erection. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned Valentine's Day. It, it seems like such a mechanical right. uh, date to me. You know, My late husband, Fred, used to think, what a stupid American invention. <laughs> yes. And I'm saying, no. I'm saying people should stop for a split second Go out and buy flowers. Do something. I don't care if it's mechanical or not. Do something to keep that relationship going. You can't expect good sex without having a good relationship. So for me, Valentine's Day, it's fine. Go and make a card or buy a card or, or buy a flower. If you don't have money, go someplace on a meadow and pick up some flowers. Oh, that's nice. I would imagine to make it a little less mechanical would be a good idea to use some imagination, right? To make some real connection. It would be nice if you tell your wife two days before, go out and buy a new dress. I'll pay for it. And then let her buy the new dress. And then on Valentine's Day, make a reservation at a restaurant where it's quiet. Right. Not one where it's loud. Young people want this loudness. That's terrible. So what else? What Making contact, mm-hmm. uh, asking questions about the person that you Same think way. you care about, to actually care about them enough to find out. I find, do you find this to be true? As I got older, I, re- I realized that my interest in my wife 
which was real, was not expressed so much in the questions I asked her. I'd ask her a question, she'd tell me something, and I wouldn't follow up on it. That follow-up question seems to be the one that really matters the most. That's very interesting. Because, first of all, I hear that you have some insight. Maybe your wife told you. (laughs) Why don't you ask me the follow-up question? Well, you know, she did tell me once, and I've tried to live by it. She said, if I ask you, where's the can opener? It's not sufficient for you to say, I don't know. (laughs) Get up and go in the kitchen and find it for her. (laughs) Or think of some places where it might be. The way we work is I use the think method. I stand in the middle of the living room and I think, where could she have put her purse? Mm -hmm. And it's always an unconventional place. Otherwise, you'd find it right away. (laughs) But actually putting some effort into it, to explore further. That's what's important, what you just said, the word effort. Not just to continue reading your newspaper, but to put it aside and say, I am ready to help you to find your purse. Yeah. It's just, I am ready to do that. Right. Uh, That's what's important because it shows that you are listening to that partner Mm -hmm. of she has lost... She has put her purse someplace. Most of the time, it, it will be found. But most of the time, when you just sit there and continue reading your newspaper or watching, watching the sports on television, that's not going to lead to a good hugging and kissing and touching the next morning. I, I purposely had, say the next morning. I didn't say that night. That's not right, right. I, you, you remind me of a story I tell in my, my book about communication where a husband passes by the sink late at night, his wife's already asleep, and he sees this big pile of dishes in the sink, and he thinks, I ought to do something about that. And I wonder what the chances are of his doing something. But if he imagines what she'll feel like in the morning when she looks at the pile of dishes and feels what she'll feel, he might act on his impulse to do something about the dishes. That's why I think many men have found that doing the dishes is foreplay. That's true. I, I like that. <laughs> I like that. I'm going to use that. Alan says doing the dishes is foreplay. What, what it really means, and you are right, doing something for your partner yeah. is conducive to that relationship being cemented. And when you use the word partner, it's interesting. It's it's become a designation now of a, a relationship, but it doesn't carry with it what partnership usually carries with it. A business partner, for instance, if they're full partners, they discuss things before one of them makes a decision and takes action. They listen to one another. They mm-hmm. respect one another's experience and opinion. That doesn't always happen in a relationship. That's true. I do some work sometimes for Forbes. And I do like a mock therapy session because business partners, two brothers, a father and a son who are in business together, have the same problems like a couple in terms of communication, Mm. in terms of the things that you were just talking about. So how do you do that? You bring two people. Now you're not in. You have two men up there who are maybe colleagues in business, and they're not um, 
They're not going to make love later. No. They're going to make a business decision. How do you translate what you've learned about relationships and communicating in bed to the business experience? Exactly what you said before, that you have to listen to each other, what you said before, that you have to respond to each other. While you listen to each other, don't think of your golf game Mm -hmm. that comes in a few hours. Put it aside. Really do an active listening to that partner, and then you can solve the business questions. Now, if you have an idea that you think is really going to make this business uh, program work, and the other person doesn't quite get it, how do you... How do you relate to that person and get your idea across without dominating the business partnership relationship? Alan, there is a German proverb that says, Dear God, give me patience, hyphen, immediately. (laughs) (laughs) So I would teach those people, you have to be patient. Yeah. You can't just think about your golf game after lunch. You have to give that other partner, your full attention, even if you don't come to a conclusion, but at least you gave the full attention. That's like you and I talking right now. Yeah. You are not doing anything else. I'm not doing anything else. I'm, give, I'm listening very carefully to what you're asking. And you notice I came in and opened up a piece of paper with 10 things on it that I was interested in. I didn't so look. I didn't see you looking at I it at all. I never looked at it once. <laughs> I know it because I'm getting my questions from what you're saying. Right. That means that you did some active listening to what I I was saying. You are going to get an award (laughs) for your podcast for this interview. (laughs) Did you hear me? What is that? That's my phone. Hello? I'm doing an interview for a podcast with famous Alan. (laughs) <laughs> famous Alan Alda is sitting in my living room. I want you to be I want you to be jealous. We'll take a break now so Ruth can finish her phone call. When we come back, we'll hear her thoughts on those moments when relationships actually begin. Dr. Ruth's rules for dating. Hooray! Nordstrom Rack's got sweet deals on everything Easter, which is Sunday, March 31st. Get to Nordstrom Rack now and save on Kate Spade, New York, Two-Faced, Steve Madden, Calvin Klein, and more from just $30. Score great brands and great prices on Easter looks for everyone, plus spring decor, gifts, and all kinds of deliciousness. Rack up the deals today at your Nordstrom Rack store. What will you find? Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. When it comes to listing your home for sale, everyone and their mom has advice. Oh, honey, who's going to want to buy this place on a cul-de-sac? It's literally a dead end. But for professional advice, a REMAX agent actually knows best. Let's start with a neighborhood analysis. I've been seeing lots of buyers looking to move here. REMAX is the most trusted name in real estate. Visit REMAX.com or download the REMAX app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Based on 2022 Brand Spark American Trust Study. Each office independently owned and operated. 
This is Clear and Vivid, and now back to my conversation with Dr. Ruth. Let me ask you about dating, because your, your book, From You to Two, Dr. Ruth's Rules for Real Relationships, is, contains a lot of advice about dating, because a lot of people now begin their relationships on first dates that are prompted by dating sites. Right. And they're brought together by kind of superficial things. Do you like uh, this kind of music too? And then that, that somehow is supposed to be the beginning of their relationship. I am not against using anything in the social media yeah. to make connections because as I say all the time, I'm so worried about loneliness. So I'm not discounting anything. However, I'm saying to people, don't be stupid. If you date online, which is fine, you have to do that, they, when you first meet that person in a public place, in the lobby of a hotel, not in a secluded place. Also, if you had a good conversation and then he doesn't respond for the next four weeks, <laughs> drop him, say goodbye, you don't know what you are missing and go to the next one. Don't sit there and say, I had such a good conversation. How come he doesn't call back? First of all, he might have somebody. Mm. Second, he, there might be something that he was not interested in. So I'm telling men and women, give it a certain time. I can't tell exactly the time. If somebody says, I'm now going on a business trip, you have to wait. But, but it, do the woman waits for the man. Is that what you're saying? I think that these days a woman can call. Yeah. Again, but not 10 times. Right, right. Once or twice. Are you interested in the relationship? Yes or no, period. And and I very, see you- Very firm, in a nice way. Right, very <laughs> firm but nice. <laughs> so I see you You suggest not, uh, not engaging in sex on the first date. Absolutely not. And why is that? Uh, first of all, it's dangerous. You do not know if he has sex with her on the first date. He had sex last week with somebody else. Mm. And you do not know what kind of sexually transmitted disease he's bringing you. So I'm saying not to have sex on the first date until you know that person, until you know a little bit more about their background, and until you really feel you are going to have a relationship with that person. Just to have sex, even if it's the best sex possible, without a relationship is not productive. You are going to be afterwards saying, I had such a good time. I had 10 orgasms. How come he doesn't call back? So it's very important to Wait, first... only 10? Is that, is that like it? <laughs> See how careful you listen. <laughs> so very important not to have sex. That's why I very often say, you are sexually aroused, bring yourself to orgasm before you go on that date. <laughs> Hoping for the best anyway. <laughs> so that that's interesting too. That's the other big point I think I I see in, in what you write lately is that if you're looking for a relationship, the date is going to probably be more productive than if you're just looking to see what might happen in the short term. Absolutely. I would like people to find a significant other. Yes. Somebody 
who is in your life whom you really care about, and then you can fantasize. Tell your listeners. It's okay to fantasize, but keep your mouth shut. <laughs> and don't fantasize about a neighbor. Because oh, oh, tell about that. That's interesting. Don't fantasize about a neighbor because that's too near to reality. Because then you see that neighbor in the hallway and who knows what could happen. Right. Fantasize about somebody. I have to tell you something. The book Fifty Shades of Grey, not great literature, even though it's British. She, even so, she made a lot of money. I read all three books because, God forbid, somebody should ask me, did you read the book? Not great literature. However, it proves a point that I have been making all these years. Not true that women don't get aroused by sexual fantasies mm -hmm. or by reading about it or by watching it or on porno films or mm -hmm. on, on television. But from that, to say that that's reality is a different issue. So read it, get aroused, and then find your partner and have great sex. It just occurs to me, and it doesn't occur to me from anything we just said, but one of the most interesting things to me that I heard, that I read about your early life was that you were nearly killed in an explosion. I certainly was. Tell, tell me went, about that. First of all, I was fortunate that I got out of Germany. You were how old? And I was 10. And so when I was 10 and a half, exactly, on January 5th, 1939, I saw my mother and grandmother the last time because they took me to the railroad station in Frankfurt. My father had been taken already to a labor camp. He did come back, but I never saw either one again. And Switzerland, I was in a children's home that became an orphanage. I then went to Palestine. At what and, age? And I was 17. And I decided that Jews need a country of their own. So then I belonged to the Haganah. That was the underground group of the Israel Defense Forces. And when Israel was declared, there were the Arab countries attacking it. But I was trained to be a sniper. So, Alan, be careful. I can still put five bullets in the red circle, and I know how to throw hand grenades. Oh, my God. So, um, But how did you get in, 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 a, in an explosion? Right. I tell you how. I was a little stupid. It was my birthday. It was my 20th birthday, June 4th, 1948. And I came back from being on the rooftops uh, watching in communication the Israeli soldiers checking the Arab cars uh, for weapons. When I got back to the girls' residence, the alarm sounded. I knew what it meant. Go down to the cellar. Go to a shelter. I had been given a book for my birthday that morning. I said, let me go up, get the book. So who knows how long I have to sit in that shelter. Big mistake. Then to the shelter when I came up and a cannonball exploded, killed two girls next to me and wounded me very badly on both legs. I could have lost my legs. I was fortunate because uh, there was a brilliant surgeon trained in Germany, Jewish surgeon, who fixed me. I can ski 
I was a black diamond skier. And Alan, if I find somebody, I can still dance the whole night. <laughs> if so you I find had, somebody. I had to learn how to walk again. Wow. And uh, that was a bad experience. I, it wasn't heroic on my part because all of us participated in some kind of resistance uh, in, in creating that Jewish state. I feel very strongly. I didn't think I would live in America. I thought my whole life I would be in Israel. What made you change your mind? Okay, first I finished at the Sorbonne Psychology. I came to visit here. I opened a German-Jewish newspaper, the Aufbau, means reconstruction. I saw that the new school for social research has a scholarship for Nazi victims. I went down there. I couldn't speak English very well, but I spoke by now German and Hebrew and French. I found professors who spoke that language. I got a scholarship. I got a master's in sociology. Then I found Fred Westheimer. I had been married twice before. This was just legalized love affairs. Uh. But then I, I had a little girl, Miriam. And then I found Fred Westheimer. You see him here. Oh, yeah. And I decided that's the guy I'm going to marry. I tell you how. I went skiing. And I went with a tall guy, taller than you, Alan, on a T-bar. You know what a T-bar is? It pushes you up the mountain. Yes. It was uncomfortable. When it was on my behind, it was on his leg. When it was on his behind, it was on my neck. Impossible. Somebody introduced me to Manfred Westheimer, uh, also from Germany, but he was fortunate. His parents went to Portugal, and then they sent him to study here. I decided that's the guy I'm going to go up the mountain because he was short. Then I found out he was 35, not married, and an engineer, and German-Jewish, and he played the harmonica. <laughs> I thought, that's for me. Look at that. <laughs> you fit all the criteria. I was married almost 40 years. Uh -huh. You still have patients, right? I don't see patients in my private practice anymore uh -huh. because I leave that up to young people. I want to be at night in the theater. Uh -huh. I want to be at a concert. Right. I want to be at a gala. We are going tonight where I was just with a wonderful gala and it got into the... <laughs> I have to tell you something funny. Last week, I went to a gala. I go to a lot of fundraisers. I went to a gala of Lang Lang, who has a wonderful program of musical education in this country and all over the world. And <laughs> my habit, they finally outed me. My habit is, from any gala, I take the flowers from the table home. <laughs> because I found out they can't give it to a hospital. They, I thought they, they throw did. They out. They throw it out or they because it's not good for the patients? Right. They can't uh, give it to any hospital. So any tonight, too, I'll come home with flowers. Could, yeah. The flowers that you see here, <laughs> I took from Lang Lang Scala. And they finally, the, the New York Post, page six, outed, outed me. So yes, you're picking them up. Do, do you know what they said? Frugal Dr. Ruth <laughs> took the flowers from her table home. Do you, bring a, do you bring a little bag with you to take the flowers no, home? I don't bring a bag for food. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I'm thinking, of, how do you just walk out with the flowers bare? I'll tell you how I call a good-looking waiter. Yeah. I say, do me a favor. If you want to have good sex for the rest of your life, 
pack up those flowers for me. It works. <laughs> it does work. So they finally wrote it up in that little, in that little item in the New York Post, page six. I was mentioned twice. Not bad for a little 90-year-old, four foot seven. You, you, you knew you were 90. You're working harder than I am, I think. And I'm, I'm just a, I'm a couple of years younger, but. <clears throat> but you're younger. I tell you what, I'm very fortunate. First of all, I'm fortunate that I'm in the same apartment that I raised my two children with my late husband. I'm very fortunate that I'm healthy. And I'm fortunate I don't let anybody call me before 10 o'clock in the morning. Oh, that's great. So uh, I now can go until midnight. And I don't take a subway anymore. I do take a car service. Yeah. So I know where to keep my energies. And I do the things that I am very fond of. Let me ask you, what else should young people think about when they're dating? What, mm-hmm. for instance, I've, you mentioned how to, how to tell if somebody's lying. It's kind of important to know if the person you're talking to on a, on a first date or a blind date, if they're really representing themselves correctly because that you could get into a relationship with somebody who, who you don't want to be in a relationship with. So what should you do? How should you, you handle to- you have to attend, you have to very intently listen. And then after a while, you will get the skill of knowing is that person saying the truth or not. That holds true for women and men. Mm. And you will, you will, you will know that if you learn how to listen intently. People actually should practice interviewing. Oh, that's but, interesting. Like, how would you do that? Uh, you would do it with a friend. Mm. You would put a friend there, make believe you are Alan. Make believe you listen to me intently like you do. Yeah. And to practice. And then that person can say, don't talk about your previous love affairs. That's of no interest. <laughs> what, what, what else should you be? If, let's, say, let's say you and I were on a first date. Wait, did you tell your wife first? <laughs> I'm not going with married men. I don't do that on, on, on your program. I know what I would do with you. <laughs> if you were not married, I'm going to send out your crew right now, and you stay here. Finished. <laughs> well, you got me with the cookies you put out. That's the first step. <laughs> and coffee. Cookies and coffee. I'm I'm in. <laughs> This has been wonderful talking with you. you. I have had yeah. such a good time. Let me ask you, it's, we, we usually end our conversations with seven quick questions, mm-hmm. hoping to get seven quick answers, just spontaneous things. And they're not embarrassing or anything. Are you, are you game for that? Of course. Okay. With you. With not me. Not with anybody. <laughs> <laughs> so the first question is, what do you wish you really understood? Hmm. Very interesting. I think I understand a lot about human relations, but I don't think I understand it all. Mm. So I really wish in today's world, I wish that I would have more scientifically validated data about young people, about what they think, what they hope, how they operate. Second question, what do you wish other people understood about you? 
The first thing I wish they would understand about me that I don't talk about my sex life. Put that down there. <laughs> Ever. And the second thing I which I wish they would understand that I'm now 90. Yeah. And I have no intention to retire. Do you hear all of you on Alan's program? I'm not retiring. Sherry Lansing coined a term not to retire, but to rewire. Oh, good. And I use that every day. Yeah, great. What's the strangest question someone has ever asked you? Alan, you're going to be disappointed because that question I get from everybody and I have no answer except to say somebody once said something about having sex with an animal and I said on the radio, I'm not a veterinarian. I'm not a veterinarian. Not a vegetarian. Not vegetarian, veterinarian. I'm veterinarian. <laughs> I'm not a doctor for animals. Next question. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't ask you how the animals felt about it. Okay. How do you stop a compulsive talker? Hmm. Look, if it's a compulsive talker, if it's interesting talk, I might not want to stop him. Mm. If it's somebody who just keeps on talking in order to fill the airwaves, I say, I have to run. I have another appointment. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> Is there anyone for whom you just can't feel empathy? Hmm. That's a very important question. I've never been asked that. And you have to know, with my background of Nazi Germany, who were my parents and grandparents and everybody in my family were killed in Auschwitz, um, a very difficult question to answer, except to tell you, I have no problem with young people. People who are older than me, I don't want to know where they were during World War II. Mm -hmm. But I have no problem with young people because they were not around. Mm -hmm. uh, older people, I do have problems. Next question. How do you like to deliver bad news? In person, on the phone, or by carrier pigeon? None of them off. <laughs> <laughs> you don't like to deliver bad news at all? Absolutely not. Do you turn it into good news somehow? Yeah, you can't always turn it into good news yeah. if somebody passes away. Yeah. You have to put it into the proper um, kind of uh, thinking about, here's a good answer. I told a young uh, son of a friend of mine who just passed away in Switzerland, I said, I just want you to know that your mother loved you. Mm. That was a very important sentence. He said, that feels very good. I didn't say how sad I am that she passed away and how terrible, nothing of that sort. I thought of him as the surviving son, and I thought, and I told him, your mother loved you, despite the fact they had some fights that will remain with him for the rest of his life. And it's so interesting. Very often when we talk to somebody who has had a loss like that, we talk about our feelings. It's very true. Or we imagine what the other person's feelings might be, none of which is relevant. the person's mm -hmm. own state of mind. Right. And you talked to him about what would support him. Right. I bet you... Uh, that this sentence of mine is going to stay with him for a long time. Yeah, yeah. That despite the fact that you had disagreements, 
with your mother. I know all about that. Your mother loved you. That's all I said. Last quick question. What, if anything, would make you end a friendship? Betrayal. Mm. If I would tell you, Alan, something that I haven't told anybody else or something that is really, really bothering me or something that is like a secret in my life, and if I would hear that you told anybody, I would say, goodbye, Alan. Nice to have met you. Well, it's been great to have <laughs> met you again. I've had such a good time with Thank you. Thank you. Okay, let's stay in touch. Thanks, Ruth. Thank you. This has been clear and vivid. At least I hope so. My thanks to the sponsors of this episode. All the income from the ads you hear go to the Center for Communicating Science at Stony Brook University. Just by listening to this podcast, you're contributing to the better communication of science. So thank you. At 91, Ruth Westheimer is an inspiration. She's tweeting, writing books, lecturing, and doing TV commercials. In 2009, Vanity Fair named Dr. Ruth one of the 12 women who changed how we look at sex. Dr. Ruth has made sex easier to talk about and has probably helped millions of people have better marriages and partnerships. I lost count of the number of books she's written. They include the wonderfully titled Sex for Dummies and The Doctor is In, Dr. Ruth on Love, Life, and Joie de Vivre. You can find it online and at most retailers. And you can follow the doctor on Twitter at AskDrRuth. This episode was produced by Graham Shedd with help from our associate producer, Sarah Chase. Our sound engineer is Dan DeZula. Our tech guru is Allison Costin. And our publicist is Sarah Hill. You can subscribe to our podcast for free at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you like to listen. For more details about Clear and Vivid and to sign up for my newsletter, please visit alanalda.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Clear and Vivid, and I'm on Twitter at Alan Alda. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Next time on Clear and Vivid, I talk with Stephen Fry, a man with a passion for words. I do love the rhythm in language, and I, I think it's an important part of it, even in, in prose, any kind that's there to, to try and persuade, seduce, beguile, charm, or delight a reader, that there is a, there is a sound element to it, and most readers vaguely hear it tinkling in the back of their head. Certainly my favourite writers are always very, have a kind of music to them. It can be a very, uh, a very stark and bleak music in some cases of writers who are not ornamental, but it, it's nonetheless a kind of music. In a conversation that reveals his own ability to dazzle with words, actor, author, television presenter Stephen Fry tells how he fell in love with the Greek myths when he was a boy and why he's now brought them freshly to life in a pair of books and a one-man play. Stephen finds in the stories of the gods of ancient Greece sobering lessons for our fascination with one of his own obsessions, the seductions of social media. Stephen Fry, next time on Clear and Vivid. 
To listen to these podcasts, you can subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. Hop, hop, hooray! Nordstrom Rack's got sweet deals on everything Easter, which is Sunday, March 31st. Get to Nordstrom Rack now and save on Kate Spade, New York, Two-Faced, Steve Madden, Calvin Klein, and more from just $30. Score great brands and great prices on Easter looks for everyone, plus spring decor, gifts, and all kinds of deliciousness. Rack up the deals today at your Nordstrom Rack store. What will you find?